Hey, thanks for downloading the podcast. If you want to listen live, all you have to do is download the iHeartRadio app and search for Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Also, if you want to catch this show on video, be sure to check out Zumo TV, channel 719. That's where you can find SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Network. Enjoy the show, and thanks so much for listening. And welcome back, hour number two of SportsGrid's Fantasy Sports Today. Craig Mish and Joe Pizapia here with you until... 1 o'clock Eastern as we're diving into everything fantasy and reality. We're going to touch on some season win totals coming up pretty soon. I found it was really interesting now that people have dove into the NFL schedule a little bit more, Joe, that the New England Patriots and Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't seem to conflict a lot when they are playing on Sundays or Mondays or Saturday. Now, again, the Buccaneers do have a lot of primetime games this year, and the Patriots have some as well. But I find it really interesting that they want to make sure that the two teams are not playing at the same time. I wonder why that could be. I'm not really sure. <laughs> I don't know. Comparing, maybe? Uh, could be. Look, it's 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 going to be a great NFL season. I mean, it always is, but this one's got a lot of fun narratives. You're going to finally get all those people who are just desperate to find out, well, who's the real genius? Is it Brady? Right. Is it Belichick? Well, like, they're both geniuses, you morons. I mean, I remember Bill Walsh being a genius until he had uh, Joe Montana. And you know what? Joe Montana was not thought of very well until he ended up with Bill Walsh. I mean, these things go hand in hand. So I think, you know, you have to start stop all that nonsense. They're both all-time great at what they do. And when you put two people together who are all-time great and outwork everybody else and legitimately care more about football than possibly any other quarterback or coach in the league, maybe save Peyton Manning, maybe that was the only other guy you come close to Brady – how are they not going to be successful together? And I, I was like, you know, but they're going to get that. They're going to get to play their little narratives. Oh, Brady is two and one. Belichick's one and two. I guess it was all Tom Brady and Belichick is a moron or vice versa. I mean, it is just dumb. It's dumb, but we are set up at least to have Brady and Breeze together in the same division. That's going to be super fun. True. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens in the AFC East this year because now all of a sudden the Patriots don't have Tom Brady. And if they somehow win the East without Tom Brady, just imagine the pain and suffering of Jet fans across the tri-state area here where I am and how miserable they are going to continue to be. Oh, that would be just joy. That would be sheer joy for me, Craig Mish. It would. I would. It'll be an interesting season when these two teams are playing on the same day, but not at the same time. Yeah. See what will the ratings be in the Northeast? Very high for both teams, I would guess. <laughs> yes, very high. Uh, all right. So uh, we're going to do a couple of futures today, and we're going to focus on the team that we actually did their stadium yesterday. And we're going to talk about the Tennessee Titans today here on the show. And so here is their season win total for 2020. It is set at eight and a half. Seems like a really good number. Their overs minus 110. Their unders minus 110. Their odds to win the AFC South plus 165. So you bet 100 bucks, you win 165. Their odds to win the AFC Championship. They were right there on the doorstep last year. And their odds there are 16 to 1. So, look, Joe, when I look at Tennessee, it looks like they're bringing back more or less all the same players. They're going to bring back the same system, the same coaching staff. They played really bad in the first half of the year. In their first five, six games, it just didn't go well until they put Tannehill in there. And then Henry, of course, went off again. It would seem to me that there's no reason why they they could win nine, ten games again. I could very much see it. I don't think they're a team that's built to win the Super Bowl. 
but I think they'll have a successful season. My only hesitation is they, unlike some other teams, Joe, to me, are like one or two players from injury of being away of having no shot whatsoever. Yes. That, that would be my fear, is that it's not a deep team. And if they were to lose Henry, they were to lose Tannehill, they were to lose a couple of other players on their team. And, and I know that the counter to that would be like, well, you could say that for every NFL team. I don't well, know. Well, no, because be. look, I mean, they lost Drew Brees last year in New Orleans, and they picked up and won a bunch of games there. You know, Teddy B went out there and balled for a couple of weeks. So it's not every team. You know, it's it's not. I think Derrick Henry's the one guy you can't lose. I think he's the identity of this offense and what they want to do. So that would be the one for me. I look at the Titans and I think this is an over. And I feel real comfortable about this one because I absolutely hate the Texans roster this year. I really think this is the end. This is finally Bill O'Brien has bitten off more than he could chew. I think this is it. I think we're finally going to get them moving on. I know they gave him the keys to the castle. And Henry proceeded to basically just catapult the castle to, you know, destruction. And uh, I think the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to be awful. And right off the bat there, I don't really know what the Colts are yet. I have optimism, cautious optimism about the Colts. But, you know, it, it is a is a change over here. Let's see what Philip Rivers has left in the tank here. I think playing behind a better offensive line is going to be so much better for Philip Rivers potentially. But in this division, I don't see how this is a team that can't go out there and win 9, 10 games again. I think if this was a, a nine win number, it might be a little different for me, but eight and a half, man, I really like this actually. I think this is a team that plays a lot better defense and they get credit for it. They were, dare I say, tenacious defensively in the playoffs and in the last month of the season. And I was very impressed. I think Mike Vrabel is a very good coach. I think he showed a couple moments there, a little bit of gamesmanship, especially in that game in New England there, where he knew that little wrinkle of continuing to let the clock run down and take the penalties and what there. And that was, you could see Belichick was just fuming because that was a very Belichick-esque thing to do. And that's what happens when you learn from the master. You pick up these things over the years. And let me tell you, Mike Vrabel, I think he's done a hell of a job. And this team believes. Will they be Cinderella again? Probably not. But I definitely think they're a 9-10 win team, and I think they're a playoff team because of the schedule, because of the division they play in. I think they can – I mean, it wouldn't even shock me if they won the division. Well, plus 165, then that's the bet to make, not even the win total there at that yeah, point. Yeah, I would, I would even agree. I think you're right. It's, I think to win that How division – How about to win the AFC championship? <sighs> no, I, I just – I still – the Ravens and the Chiefs to me are just such hard good – Hard to go the, against Kansas City. Uh, but you know what? Even as hard as it is to go against Kansas City and, and Mahomes is a genius, and I love Mahomes – Man, that Ravens team is good, and and man, they had a good draft too, and they, their defense is really good. They had I mean, one bad game last year. And they did. They two just bad had games, it. one against the Browns, and no one can figure out. And yeah. then at the end of the season, yeah, yeah. and then in the playoffs at the two week layoff, they came out flat, and it burned them. That you know, they had their worst game of the season at the worst possible time in the playoffs in the second round, and that sucks for them. But maybe it was a wake-up call. Maybe that's something a young team has to go through and get checked a little bit. And maybe you do rethink that if you have, you know, seven sure. week 17 there. You have a playoff spot locked up. Maybe you don't sit everybody. Maybe you go out there and you play everybody and you learn from the mistakes of the past. Because I think, I think it was a mistake. I really do. And I always think it is when people rest everybody and people don't play for two weeks. Yeah, and, and look, Tennessee's not a sexy team, but they were great against the spread last year, just covering as an underdog every single sure. game, winning outright, right. and some other ones too. All right, so from the Tennessee Titans near the top, we go to the bottom of the division and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Outside of Washington, this is the lowest total on the board. It's Washington is four and a half in some spots. Jacksonville's four and a half in some spots. So I, I believe that by the time the season starts or when we start kicking this around in July and August, you're going to see Jaguars at four and a half. But they're over. You can get good money on. If they win six games, you bet 100 bucks. You win 125. That's a good bet. 
Their under is minus 145, so you're praying, obviously, a push at the worst. And, you know, just for purposes of telling you what's going on here, their odds to win the AFC South are 20 to 1. You'd be, <laughs> you'd be nuts. And then their odds to win the AFC Championship. I don't even mess around with the Super Bowl with some of these teams. I don't think there's any reason for it. So, Joe, this goes back to what we were talking about a little bit yesterday. In case you missed yesterday's show, just go back on demand. Hit up YouTube.com. And click on Sports Grid, like, subscribe to our show. You can hear us talk about all of the different totals that we do here. Um, look, obviously, I feel like this is an under, but I'm not going to be fooled into thinking that it's a guarantee. I'm just simply not going to do that. These guys sure. are competitors, uh, and they are they don't play in a formidable division. They don't play in a bad division, but they have some winnable games. They can win some. I would also love to know what their roster is going to look like two months from now as opposed to right now before doing something like this because I think that I would feel a lot better going under if I knew Fournette was not there because Fournette can break off a couple of runs. He can win a couple of games by himself. We saw him win a couple of games by himself sure. last year. So I would lean toward the under here. But again, I, I, I felt so victim last year of going on what looked like an easy under it is very hard now in the NFL to lose uh, 16 games, 17 games. It's, it's just oh, really and, and they're not. And they're not going to lose 16 games. That's not going to happen. But I do think this is an under. And, yes, there's no guarantees. You're right. But I feel, or at least I'm getting the feeling, like they would like to move on from Leonard Fournette. And if there's an opportunity, an opportunity presents itself sometime in preseason to potentially do that or at some point in the season to do that, we've seen some running backs get moved. We saw Kenyon Drake get moved. We saw uh, a couple of years ago, the Eagles made a move for a running back there. Jay Ajayi going over there. So it's not impossible now. We are seeing more guys get moved to the NFL trade deadline than ever. I the NFL trade deadline was a snooze 20 years ago. Now, not so much. Now, like there are some guys that move back and forth that week leading up to the deadline and the actual deadline. So I'm of the mind that when you look at Gardner Minshew is quarterback. Uh, I was trying to look, actually, that I was trying to remember who was the backup quarterback there. If anything should happen to Gardner Minshew. And uh, it's Joshua Dobbs is the backup there. Okay. So, you know, uh, I hate I hate to do this, but I'm going to do it for Jacksonville just because I agree with the sentiment. But just to show you that nothing is insurmountable, um, assuming that Jacksonville does lose to Indianapolis and Tennessee in their first two games, which we would assume uh, they then play the Dolphins at home. They then go to Cincinnati. They play Houston. They play Detroit. Um, they play Houston again. They also play Cleveland. Um, they play the Bears. I, 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 all I'm saying... No, they have a, a is, weaker is, schedule. There's no doubt about is, that. Is that <laughs> they they could win five. They could win five. Oh, they without, absolutely without could. But... They I, don't I think, want to. That's not their I, plan. I don't, think they, I don't <laughs> think they want to, and I don't think they're going to be in a situation to to win five. I I, listen, again, I didn't think that would happen <laughs> last year either. And, and I actually I, think five is really... Honestly, I think five is a reasonable number. Like... When you look at it and you say, oh, okay, because when someone is the number one pick in the draft, most of the time they're what? A two or win, three win team for the most part, right? Those are usually a three win teams ends up with the number one overall pick. Everybody think that's what's going to happen and that is the future of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Then you have to start to imagine, okay, are they a five win team with the number one pick to get Trevor Lawrence? No, no. I think we're no, five. No, win, I think that's impossible. You're a five win pick. You're not getting Trevor Lawrence. No. So you have to understand here. 
that you have to be below five. And I think they understand that better than anybody. Well, and Miami I thought they did too, and they ended up winning a lot of games. So with all due respect, did. I don't believe anything that you just said. I, However, I all that out. I'm going to say this. I think Doug Marone is is more inept than Brian Flores. How about that? Maybe. That's Fair possible example. too. I don't care if it's a hot Miami take. nearly gave away the, the player that they wanted by beating New England the last game of the year. Like, it's, like did. All they had to do was lose. <laughs> yeah, but I think the one thing we learned about the Jaguars the last couple of years is the wheels fall off there a little bit. You know, we, we've seen Jalen Ramsey disenfranchised. We've seen other players call out the owner on Twitter. This is a way more dysfunctional franchise than I the Miami understand. Dolphins. They're going to lose a lot of games. And when my, they lose and when well, they start to it's going to that, light on fire. That's what I'm my, saying. Well, my guess is, is that they'll be sitting with a few weeks to go with a chance to push a win. It's just this is the NFL, and strange things happen. They I'm might not have a chance for this number, but again, at the end of the day, you're comparing an organization that was, you know, thinking about rebuilding and, and had a pretty nah, solid nah, plan. I'm not buying any of that. Now, you went into know, last year with Miami. You thought there was no chance they would win two games. None. And they were 0-8 to start. Everybody thought that. Don't, don't try and change the— I, I'm not talking about my. I'm talking about this team, Jacksonville, and I think Jacksonville is a dysfunctional organization, and I think they can achieve less than five wins. I think they can too. I'm just not sold on it. All right, coming up next for our historical stadium tour, we're going to go a little bit off the grid, even though we are sports grid. What do I mean? You'll have to stay, stay tuned. That's coming up next. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. And welcome back. Our iconic stadium tour continues today on May 13th. And instead of doing a little college football or pro football or NBA or even Major League Baseball, we're going to go a little off the grid, so to speak, here on Sports Grid. A little bit outside the box, Joe. And of course, you have some history at the place that we're going to talk about today. I do. I have a lot of history. I have family history because my grandmother's family is from Williamsport, Pennsylvania. She is one of... I believe five brothers and sisters and uh, Williamsport, Pennsylvania, that town and home of Little League Baseball. And it was the place where as a kid, I'd go up there and spend every summer. And then as uh, almost teenager, goes a part of the incredible camp league that they run, which I believe they, they still run as well throughout. It's a very different structure. It used to be two weeks and, you know, mom and dad would drop you off and say, see ya. Now it's like a week long thing and they just cycle everybody. But we were up there for two weeks. That's, That's awesome. when boys became men. You were out there in the middle of the mountains every day. You'd wake up, you play baseball. You eat, you play baseball. You go rest a little, you go play in the pool, you go play a little ping pong, and you go eat again, and then you play baseball. And then at night, you'd watch movies in the stadium. We'd hang out in the stadium, and then you go get your slushies, your red slushy, your orange slushy. You get your baseball cards you could buy at the little canteen, and you would trade baseball cards and watch the Sandlot and uh, watch the sunset and the moon come up. And uh, those Very are romantic. special. It was. Yeah, I, I had, I'll tell you what, there for July 4th, sitting on the mountains with my whole team and all the teams there. And we'd look up and you'd watch from the mountains, the fireworks there. And I was just like, it was America and baseball in the summer. And it was an amazing thing to do. And I was lucky enough to actually play 
on this field and then later coach on this field. Mm, and that's awesome. I got to tell you, first time, this is a true story. I was 12 years old the first time I played on that field. And it's much smaller when you're on the field than it looks like on TV. It is much smaller. I hit a ball off the wall and uh, I did not get a double out of it. Not because I wasn't fast and not because I was watching it, but I thought I got all of it and I was running hard. And then it just bounced off the wall and the kid caught it right away and turned around and threw. And I said, wow, this, this park is a lot smaller than it seems like. It's uh, I think it's only like 305 in the corners there, Lomity Stadium. But uh, later, uh, I also had a thing too. Whenever I coached on that, we uh, had the privilege of the last day coaching on uh, that stadium in that field. Uh, something well, the parents would come finally pick up their kids. You know, you'd have like kind of the best teams go out there and play. And we had the honor many times. My team would be the one out there. And I told my kids, we don't lose on this field. That's not what we do. Perfect 3-0 on that field in all of those games. So I'm very, very proud of that. But uh, it is, it's baseball heaven for uh, a young teenage boy who just loved the game and could just play all day long. And very lucky. I had some great people there. There were a lot of uh, high school baseball in Williamsport is a huge deal. Huge deal. And some of the players there are very good. They go on to play at a lot of big colleges. And then a lot of those guys then come back and are coaches there. So we were working with guys who were 20 years old who were big time college baseball players playing in, you know, division one schools. And it was amazing to like, that's the instruction you're getting. And there's no parents, there's no politics. It's just how much do you want to earn it? How hard do you want to work? And man, let me tell you, I think more kids should have that experience. It was, it was very important. And you you said romantic. I think that's the best word for it. It's, it's a romantic lemma. And my first job, I got paid. I got paid to do this. I was 17 years old, getting paid $500 a two-week session to coach baseball, all my meals and room and board. And, you know, I mean, come on. You hang out with a bunch of other dudes and, you know, play video games at night when all the kids go to bed and be stupid. I mean, what's, what's better than that, man? Sounds like fun, man. <laughs> it Sounds was. like when you're done with the show, you're going to be like, I kind of oh, miss it. You're you like, know Uncle what? Rico, you want to go back. I, Uncle Rico, I want to go back. And and let me tell you something. I was there before they built all of the, now I'm going to sound old. Originally, they had these cabins. And sometimes it would be two teams to a cabin. And they were crappy. There was one area for showering. Okay? You had to go down to this area to shower. And it was crazy. And you had to walk outside. It was like camp. Like you know, how you think of camp in the seventies. Yeah. That's how it was. Even in the, in the early nineties, that's how it was until they built those beautiful new things. And then by my third year there, then we had the beautiful barracks with the air conditioning, all these things, which is where all the teams stay now when they travel for a little league world series. But my goodness, man, those first couple of years uh, make you tougher. Let me tell you, you're sleeping out there. It's 95 degrees at night. <laughs> it's one shower in the whole place. Ugh, not fun, dude. Not Good fun. History. Good history. Good history. <laughs> All right, uh, so there it is. Uh, the stadium in Williamsport opened up in 1959, and of course, home of the Little League World Series. They have crowned 60 different champions wow. of the Little League World Series since they opened up that stadium. Uh, let's go through some of the iconic moments in Little League World Series history. 1971, former big league player and manager Lloyd McClendon in three games goes five for five with five home runs and five intentional walks. That seems pretty good. Not sure, but seems pretty good. Yeah. Nin- 1998, Todd Frazier, and we'll, we'll talk more about Todd Frazier, of course, because everyone knows how popular he was there in the Little League World Series. He went four for four for Toms River, New Jersey, also ended up winning the championship. Another Met, Michael Conforto, went six for ten. 
for a school in Redmond, Washington. Uh, Cody Bellinger of Chandler, Arizona, hit a three-run home run back in 2007 at the Little League World Series, although his team did not win. And yes, it stinks, but it is an iconic moment because it's a bad moment, but we'll throw it in there. Uh, Little League World Series, of course, coming up this year is no more. It has been canceled due to COVID-19. So what I feel so bad for those kids because that's a special journey to be on. And uh, I actually saw Todd Frazier when he was 12 years old play on that field. And I remember uh, saying to my uh, friend next to me, I said, I think that's the best 12-year-old athlete I've ever seen in my whole life. Really? I mean, God, that good? He was that good. He was that good. And the way he moved and stuff, and he played shortstop, and he had the braces and the red hair. And it didn't look like, like, you see him, and you're like, this kid's a little goofy. Uh-uh. Man, this kid was a phenomenal athlete. He was like he could do anything. It just seemed really easy to him. Uh, some other guys, Gary Sheffield. Uh, played in the Little League World Series. A lot of people forget that. You also had those great, iconic Cody Webster moments, that team from Washington that won that upset all those teams from uh, Taipei that used to, you know, some of those guys had mustaches. I think we know there was a lot of the, uh, a, lot of, a lot of things going on there where the birth certificates weren't exactly accurate. These sure. kids were yeah, maybe not 13 years old. Just saying they maybe not. Right. Uh, you also had Sean Burroughs. That's some great moments with those California teams that made it two years in a row. He later played in the major leagues, and his dad was actually uh, the coach of those teams who uh, also played big league ball. So yeah, Sean Burroughs, pretty big bust. Was major league baseball. He was. I thought, I he, was like he was like the pudgy kid too. Yeah, he was literally. He was like the pudge ball guy. Uh, I also my fondest team was the team from Trumbull, Connecticut which uh, had Chris Drury, who later on became uh, played for the Rangers, played in the NHL for quite a few years. And uh, that team, that was the one for me because I was about that age where I was like, wow, look at that. You know, it's a, and they won. And back then it was a bigger deal when the teams from the States won because the landscape was dominated by the internationals for a long time. But uh, I think it's a much more level playing field now. Also, the Little League Museum, great place to go. Great, fun place. We used to do the tours with the kids there. And when I was there, it was one of the things you always stopped and get there and hang out and go see some of these things. And they have some cool stuff where you can bring up all the highlights from these games on the boards. And you can watch any Little League World Series highlights from any year, which is very cool. Have you ever been here? Because it's a, it's no, a little slice is, of Americana. No, definitely not. Definitely yeah. not. not a place it feels like I a think. time warp. And they used to. It's closed now, unfortunately. But right down the road from there, there was a huge baseball card shop. Huge. Mm. And that was like the hotbed place, man. You go there and there were so many people would be flooded in there. And it was wild because it's this small town that once a year just explodes with media coverage in the hill. And you slide down the hill in the, on the cardboard box and you do these crazy things. It feels like a, a moment in time in America that doesn't really exist anymore. I think there's only one other place that I can equate it to and it's Cooperstown really? where you feel like you're transported to almost a Norman Rockwell painting. That's kind of like what Williamsport was, especially when I was there. And they've built it up a lot more in the last 10 years than it used to be. But back in the day, man, like I said, that was every summer of my life was spending that town playing yeah. baseball. I think that, that the cancellation is one of the bigger disappointments. It's a huge disappointment because it, it's one of the joys of, you know, not just for these kids, but I think everybody kind of you get a kick out of it and people get inspired. Yeah, what was that kid last year or two years ago? The kid was like. My name is, you know, whatever, and I hit dingers. Remember that went viral? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I that, that kid. <laughs> I mean, these kids, you know, they have say they've got these crushes on these certain sportscasters or these, you know, these actresses and stuff like that. It's hilarious. Like, you know. Big Al? Big Al. That's a big Al. 
<laughs> my name's Big Al, and I hit dingers. I'm almost positive he's from Jersey. Like, where else could Big Al be from but Jersey? Yeah. Uh, but Ro- it, Roto-Ware did a shirt with him, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, so like, good. All the Major League Baseball players were wearing that, too. So uh, good. Uh, Colby Rasmus, a... Uh, I, didn't, I don't remember Brian Seif playing Little League World Series, former NFL quarterback. Uh, we talked about uh, Jerks and Profar and Jonathan Scope actually played on the same team. Incredible. Have that one. Uh, Devon Travis, who played with the Toronto Blue Jays as well. Matt Castle, who was in the Little League World Series, yeah, was a pretty right. good NFL quarterback also. Um, and so, yeah, so there's certainly a lot of history there. And I think that with a lot of the cancellations, we just think for ourselves – and how disappointed we are to not be able to watch sports, but the idea of trying to compare it to kids who just want to play it is those is, twelve is and thirteen clear. year olds don't get that year back of eligibility. This is not college, you know. You're not twelve and thirteen. You don't get that run anymore, and they're not even going to get the opportunity for that run, which is sad, because that is, I think, one of those things that those and they'll tell you the, those kids. A lot of them stay together over the years, and they and they kind of you know they go end up in high school together, and sometimes those relationships fray, but a lot of times you you talk to some of these things and you see some of these you know news stories sometimes they kind of stay in touch and stay intact these groups it's a very special bond when you make that kind of a run there and again the same kind of thing when you're out there uh, I still have a friend of mine who actually is one of the coaches at the independent baseball here the Somerset Patriots in the independent league who I still see and he was a guy that I played with up there and he actually uh, his name is Fox Buyer he's a he's a poet and uh, a teacher and a baseball enthusiast and uh suffered from cerebral palsy and uh threw a high school no hitter that's how good of a pitcher he was wow. uh incredible guy and actually is one of the coaches over here shane spencer is the manager actually here in the local uh, somerset patriots and it's great i always i once a year i always make sure a point to go to a game and i always get to see him and we sit and chat and stuff like that it's one of those things like hey we were 13 14 years old and here we are 40 years old and you still share those memories and those moments some really special stuff it's like the oh. most pure baseball you could possibly get well good to travel back in time with you and to talk about the little league world series coming up next though we go to the present and what the future could look like in major league baseball it looks like a universal designated hitter is coming and so in the next few days we'll touch on some of the teams and some of the possibilities in baseball that could be looking at putting their national league players into the dh role and so when we come back next We're going to touch on the National League East. We'll go through the Braves, Marlins, Phillies, Mets, and Nationals. And then also briefly touch on maybe some top prospects and reserve lists for those teams as well. Players that will be eligible to play in 2020 if the team calls upon them. We'll be back with more Sports Grid right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Plenty more to come as we get you every day from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern. Don't go away. We're right back after this. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Welcome back, Craig and Joe here with you. And in the coming days, we're going to hear more about the 2020 Major League Baseball season. We're assuming that there are going to be significant changes. A lot of them have been reported. 
by a lot of the great reporters around the country. Hopefully I'll have some of that info as well to bring to you guys, as I always do. But the one thing that I have asked about that seems to be almost a certainty at this point is the fact that we're going to have a universal designated hitter for 2020. Uh, Joe's opinion is this uh, this is the last time we'll have ever seen pitchers bat. I tend to agree. I think this is probably it. But the one thing that we'll have to keep an eye on is whether or not this actually works and whether the finances work. So uh, they're not going to make any plans for 2021 without playing out 2020. But, Joe, I think that this definitely will affect fantasy for sure. We've talked about some of the leagues. The NL-only leagues either have to be redone or something else is going to have to be figured out because you – know, <laughs> Certainly the way that you drafted didn't end up the way that it is. But I also think that this is going to uh, lend to opportunity for some extra playing time. And I wanted to discuss with you some of those players that I see potentially getting more playing time in, in what looks like a truncated baseball season. Yeah, and I think there's certainly some teams that are better suited for this than some others. And really, you mentioned the fantasy implications of this could be huge for those NL-only leagues and how that works out and where players you're allowed to use them or players that... Maybe you drafted late, you know, just as reserve players, maybe now are thrust into a different role where they're getting more everyday at bats yeah. because of the DH. And all of a sudden that could really change, you know, what your utility spot might be. And the other thing, too, we haven't really talked about in fantasy. If you're playing head to head leagues now, all of a sudden, you know, it's one thing season long roto. If it's 80 games, if it's 162 games, whatever it ends up being, that's what it is. Right. But in any leagues where you're playing head to head, you got to really look at your schedule here. And this is why I am a big proponent of all play anyway where everybody plays everybody every single week, because I think that's the only way to do this fairly, because some teams might be better than others, and you want to make sure that a team that's good enough to be a playoff team in fantasy makes the playoffs. So we really should sit down and kind of hammer out the repercussions in fantasy in the next week or so of what's going to happen with this half season, uh, if you will, because oh, yeah. Yeah, you listen. really have to adapt here, some of these leagues, and you know really do things in a different manner. I, I've talked about this for the last month, Brett, our producer can attest to, I've made a commitment to not do that until we get definitive uh, news. We'll hold baseball. it. I, I we'll mean, think on it. I, I, I've, I've said I've said a million times. There's a lot of great people out there who are doing television shows and podcasts, and, and look, they're getting paid to do fantasy content uh, on baseball. I'm getting paid to do a show, and so in addition to doing fantasy baseball content for you guys here on Sports Grid, I want to do the best show possible. And how much meaningless content has been put out in the last 30 days? A lot. So and, and I don't want to be in that group. I'm not going to no, be in that and group. I don't think we are. I, You know, segments like we just did, I think, are way more impactful than us speculating on something that's not even there yet. Right. Well, I, we know at this point, I know at this point, the DH is, is going to happen. OK, so it's that's gonna. that's why I feel comfortable in doing it. Right. But what if we would have done a show two weeks ago on the realignment of all the divisions and playing only in spring training park? I mean, I mean, and still some things could change. So right. once we get definitive action, and I think it'll happen this week or next, yes, we're going to dive into every team, every aspect of this. It'll be probably two hours of fantasy baseball talk again. But for now, let's let's calm down and just go through what we know and give the best advice possible. Because as I've said many times before, the show not uh, is very important live but it's so important with the way that the world is moving on demand and i don't want to put stuff out on demand that you guys are going to watch and go this is ridiculous i want you to be able to watch this six months from now and gain something from it so um okay so the national league east we're going to start we're going to do the nl east today and take a look at some potential players that will benefit from the dh tomorrow we'll do the central and then we'll close out the week with the west so let's take a look at a few players that I think potentially could get a little bit of a boost. With the Atlanta Braves, 
I think that they were debating whether or not to have Riley at third base or not to start the season. And I think he had a good spring. It was a little bit questionable. We know they want to have Camargo on the team because he's going to play utility no matter what. Uh, Riley now is, I think, penciled into play every day, either at third or the DH. And then beyond that, I have to think that with the little boost that Adam Duvall gave the Braves last year, remember, he was essentially in a strict platoon going into the year with Marcakis at best. Now I think Duvall gets more at-bats. Barcakis, of course, a really good defender. He can play the outfield now and not have to worry about the bat, even though his bat's been pretty good. So uh, we can start there with Riley and Duvall. Those are the only two players that I see on Atlanta getting a little bit of an at-bat boost. Yeah, I'll tell you what, too. I have a strong feeling about this because, for me, uh, you've heard the stories, too. DH is not easy. It's it's a thing. It's a process of being able to keep yourself ready to hit four times a game. And the pattern of going from a guy who plays the field to only hitting four times a game. A lot of people tell you that transition is not easy. Everyone thinks, oh, whatever. It's one thing to do it as a one off, you know, once a month. It's another thing to be doing it on a consistent basis. And I would be very surprised if the Braves made Austin Riley that guy. I think it's a way to keep him in the lineup more often, maybe once or twice a week, maybe. But to make him an everyday DH, I don't see that happening at all. I think it's very important for his development to keep him in the field, even if you think Camargo's a better defender, because I think the only way to transition young players like that is to keep them in their routine. And Camargo's a guy that can move around the field, move around the diamond, play different positions, and then you can get him some DH at-bats too. But Duvall's kind of that guy. They could add a little bit more power in the middle of that lineup and uh, specifically play him against certain pitchers. And I think that's kind of the route I would go. But Austin Riley, I do not think, is going to be a DH there. I think it's very important they keep him in that routine. The only guy, you know, I'm trying to think of the youngest player I ever remember being pushed into a DH role, and it's Edgar Martinez, who will be the first guy to tell you he struggled in that transition early well, on. Well, the youngest guy ever to do it was the rookie of the year in the American League and had the biggest, one of the biggest seasons ever for a rookie in history last year. So maybe we're changing our scope on that. And that's maybe. Al but I think Jordan Alvarez, Jordan Alvarez is also that guy that, was kind of DHing in the minor leagues already, <laughs> you know. It wasn't like I don't, he was I don't know that the I don't know day. that the plan was for him to be a full time DH right out of the box, Joe. I don't, I don't think, think it was, was, but I think that is something that you look at. He's just such an extraordinary anomaly in terms of what he's able to do. Maybe. But also, if you go look at the Amer in the minor league track record, there he's got a fair amount of DH at bats. He was very comfortable in that. Role. I'd have to check that to uh, to verify that, but. I um, for you. Continue on, myself. Okay. Uh, Marlins, uh, Garrett Cooper, and, and I thought Garrett Cooper would end up winning the job regardless if they had Aguilar or not, but this definitely cements Garrett Cooper in the Marlins lineup every single day, so that's the end of it. Um, whether he's in right field or first base at DH, he was one of the best bats last year. This what? keeps, this keeps them, him healthy, and it keeps him on the field. Uh, I can speak to what he thinks. He wouldn't mind at all. So uh, this is the, the direction that I think that they will go, and Cooper will be the DH. Actually helps the Marlins, don't you think? Because this is a team that wants to get that bat in there, and this is a unique opportunity to do that. I, I think so. It is a little curious that they pivoted and signed Matt Joyce to play right and, and not Cooper full-time, but I think that this eliminates any thought process of, of having to worry about any kind of playing time there. Um, Jay Bruce may be the biggest bump of everybody here. I, I mean, I don't think that Jay Bruce is going to play at all going into the year. I don't mean, I, I, mean, I know that... I don't, I don't look the, the open position for Philadelphia is center field. He's not a center fielder. So maybe they would have pushed McCutcheon back to center, but he was hurt. I'm not really sure. But now Jay Bruce to me.
Jay Bruce. Why sometime. not? Why can't Jay Bruce uh, hit 30 home runs? He can. And oh, that's well, not 30. Thing. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, 30. 15. Can 15? Why can't he hit 15? Yeah, sure he absolutely. can. The thing about Jay Bruce is he'll do that over two weeks. And then he won't do anything that's else for the season. That's but that's fine. Jay. That's always been Jay Bruce. Jay Bruce can be as hot as anybody and as ice cold as anybody. So I think that's one of these pieces that I will just leave for the DFS world too, because that's another adjustment we have to make too. Because all of a sudden you get these other bats that are involved in games that might be really lower priced. You know the Jay Bruce's or the Gary Coopers of the world that you can slide in there because they qualify in other positions, but they might be hitting maybe towards the middle of an order. So that's going to be fascinating. I mean, there are so many wrinkles in this potential baseball season, not just season long, but from a daily perspective also that are going to be really fun and different. And I think a good jolt to the game and a good jolt to the fantasy game too. All right, on to the Mets, boy. Are they glad that they held on to Dominic Smith? <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, Dominic Smith, I mean, to me, I think Bruce maybe gets the biggest bump of all, but Smith gets the second biggest bump, I think, because wow. I think that they would have found a way to play Smith one way or the other somewhere. Uh, but now, I mean, he plays 80 games at DH. He's the Mets DH. That's it. Yeah. What else is there And a guy that they really don't have a position for and they don't love the glove anyway, I actually think he's the biggest winner of this group, without a he doubt. Could be. I, 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 I just can't. Him, maybe it's he, Howie Kendrick a, in the next one. A, but He's the biggest winner, but I, I can't. There's not a lot of predictability with Dominic Smith. I'm not sure how he's going to be. I know what Jay Bruce has been for the last 10 years. Right. And at the end of the year, he's hitting 230 and he's hitting 15 home runs and driving in 40 on the, okay. in, the, on, in that sure. park. Really good park, too. And playing in other good parks also. Orioles, Yankees. He's got a good spot. Look, I, I'm going to say this. Dominic Smith, I think, is in a, a unique opportunity here where he's a player who finished the season strong. He's a player that the bat is good, the power is limited, but I think all around, you think about the biggest winner, it's definitely Dominic Smith and the Mets, I think, and, and it's, believe me, it's not because I'm a Mets fan. I am the biggest self-loathing, everything the sky is crumbling Mets fan there is, but I actually think this actually worked out for them somehow. And, oh, and, of course. <laughs> you know, and, and Dominic Smith lengthens that lineup a little bit for them, which is also something I think the Mets kind of desperately needed to get another bat in that lineup, but... Where were you going to sacrifice? What were you going to do? And I think this is really works out well for them. So I, I think of all these teams so far, he's probably the one, and the next guy coming is probably the two that we're going to talk about. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that the Nationals will use several players. That's why I don't, oh. I won't see it the same as you. I, I think that sometimes Howie Kendrick will be at second, sometimes he'll be at DH, sometimes he'll be at third, and he'll be their utility player. They also have his Drupal Cabrera. We cannot forget about him. And I think that the one player that benefits the most on the Nationals is the fact that they brought back Ryan Zimmerman for another season. And we all know Zimmerman is going to play once or twice a week. But again, now he has a chance to play a little bit more than we thought. So um, I see I see the Nationals using multiple guys. I sure. do as well, but I think Kendrick will get the bulk of them. It will be, It's an older team, so they are going to cycle everybody through. But Howie Kendrick is built for this. Howie Kendrick thrived on this in the playoffs, too, in the World Series. I mean, he, look, this is a guy that really is a professional hitter. He was a professional hitter all the way back when he was with the Angels, all the way back from his rookie season. This guy just gets up, wakes up, has coffee, and hits 300. Okay, that's what Howie Kendrick does. And I think this is a unique opportunity for him to extend the life another season here. And Zimmerman will get in there, too, because Zimmerman is a guy you have to kind of budget. And it's only 80 games now, so that's a positive for him also. But, man, this... This is a big win, I think, for the Nationals, just generally speaking, another team that wants to lengthen the lineup a little bit, has a bunch of veteran bats, but now getting to put one in there every single day is a huge win trying to basically plug the hole that existed when Anthony Rendon left for Los Angeles. Yeah, and what I think that for those people who are watching, and I think that hopefully in this very short segment as to what we've discussed, as you can see, 
for those of you who play fantasy baseball, this is one small reason why you need to redo your league, probably. I mean, you can just see that there are a lot of changes and a lot of players that had very little to no value even in mixed mm-hmm. leagues now that all of a sudden will have it. So if you can, and and certainly, look, not everybody can. But it's hard to convince everybody. But, I mean, my gosh. What if you drafted I mean, a great team, you love it. You can convince that. I mean, Howie Kendrick went from an undrafted player to maybe getting 400 you know, well, now 200 plate appearances. It's just he incredible. was drafted in most leagues. I mean, but I play in deeper leagues. But yeah, you're you make a good sentiment. The the structure of the amount of at bats those guys get is going to change. All right, uh, coming up next, we'll take a look at some of the key reserves in the National League East when players have to be uh, basically assigned to a reserve list where they can't play. We'll have that next. DailyRoto.com. Learn from the game's best DFS players. We don't just give you premier advice. We play every day. All major sports, all year round, we never stop. Industry-leading DFS tools and custom projections. And now, the DailyRoto.com Optimizer. In minutes, build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys. Learn from the game's best DFS players. Join DailyRoto.com. Hey, welcome back. Craig and Joe with you here on Fantasy Sports Today. On demand, go back and check. We went through some of the National League East teams and potential players that could play designated hitter. Now, we're going to walk a little bit of a slippery slope here because we don't know exactly how many reserves each team is going to have. There's some thought process that the 40-man roster is involved. There's some thought process that it is not involved at all for 2020. So that's going to be a little bit fluid. But what is expected is that some level and some amount of players in Major League Baseball are going to be asked to go to their spring training facilities and essentially stay there, work out, either scrimmage amongst themselves or against teams in the area. I can speak to this in Florida. The Marlins and Cardinals play in the same facility maybe every single day. The reserves of the Marlins play the reserves of the Cardinals. Joe, I'm not exactly sure. How this is going to work out, of course, the Astros are in South Florida and so are uh, the Nationals. Like Their teams in their areas, they wait and they just hang out there. They get paid, I would assume, either major league or minor league money. I don't know how that would work out either, but far be it for me to create that that model and that plan. But at some point, and in some point very quickly, Joe, within the first week or two, they're going to have to make a move. Teams are going to have, they're going to need players. The number that we've heard is 20. In addition to the 26, 27, or even 30 players that they're going to have, we're looking at a roundabout total of about 50 players that are going to be eligible to play in that shortened season in Major League Baseball in 2020. Mm-hmm. So another exercise that's going to be very important when we find out exactly is going to be to determine which players are on and which players are off those uh, reserve rosters. And predominantly, the keys here are the players that we thought as prospects would get to make their major league debut in 2020. But when you look at it, Joe, and you're a general manager of a major league team and you're in the bottom half, let's say team 15 through 30, and you don't really think you can compete, you're going to sacrifice a year of service time for an 80 game season when it means nothing. It's going to create an interesting dynamic that we've never seen before. No, but the flip side of that is very special, which is if you are one of the teams in one through 15, it's a it's anything goes. It's going to be the Wild West. You have a puncher's chance to win. So why don't you want some of that young talent, especially the young pitching talent that you were worried once upon a time of, well, they're only going to have 150 innings or maybe 120 innings in their arm this year. 
all of a sudden, you could have somebody who's super fresh come October, who is 21 years old, who's pitching really well, and the book isn't out on him yet. He hasn't got exposed to the league that much. This could be an incredible impact it's a, it's year for a, a lot a, of young pitchers. Yes, but it's important for people who are going to redraft or draft now. For a lot of the names that you're going to talk about now, it was unexpected that they would make their major league debut. Now, now mm-hmm. the chances are are significantly higher. But like uh, for a team, like for example, a team like Tampa Bay. Okay, so they have, and we'll get to Tampa Bay later on. But they have Wander Franco. Odds are stronger that we'll see him in 2020. Right. Uh, for the Miami Marlins, they have Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera, two of the top 10 pitching prospects in all of baseball. I mean, I don't know the answer right now, Joe, but it would seem to me there'd be a less likely chance. I agree. I definitely agree with that. that. Teams that are worried financially, teams that don't want to start clocks or you know that aren't contenders, I think you could push all those prospects back a whole year. There's no doubt about it. Plus, let's also not forget that the minor league draft, the amateur draft is going to be significantly reduced too. So there's going to be a lot more, you know, just there's no reason to, you know, not put the kids back into double or triple A next year too to start because you're going to have a lot more openings. Uh, so I think just from a, just from a numbers game alone, but I think those teams that are real contenders here and they have guys who could potentially help them. And some of these names I think will potentially help some of these teams, especially in the East, in the National League, which is a hyper-competitive division. That is a really good division, save the Marlins right now. That is really, really going to be tough. And I think it might take one of these streaks from one of these young players to make the difference in one of these teams winning and losing this division. All right, so let's take a look at some of the key reserves. And uh, for the Braves, I've got Drew Waters, who I think will end up making his debut this year late in the season. And I also have Ian Anderson. Now, look, Cole Hamels was hurt five months ago, <laughs> however long it was ago. I don't even remember. I assume he's healthy and ready to start the season. But Ian Anderson has to be on there for me as well. Also, Christian Pache, uh, who I think is going to be on another team. I think that they're going to end up moving him somewhere. Um, yeah, I think he's a little overrated of a prospect myself from what I've seen him play. I didn't um, put him on here, but I felt Yeah, like- but uh, that was the first guy I was going to bring up, too, that I think he'll be on about and Ian Anderson's the difference maker guy and I don't know if I'm sold at Cole Hamels being healthy I, I don't know let's, let's I don't see know what, what the happens. status is I have no idea you know I, I think we need to see there's a lot of mileage on that arm and I love Cole Hamels he's been a very steady pitcher for a very long time great career but this is a very young rotation and I know you and I when we were talking baseball back in January on the radio show here on sports Grid, I don't even we were, remember that we were, I know, you were drunk the whole so time. Long ago, yeah. uh, we, we, we came so, <laughs> we were really discussing about, hey, if the Braves are going to do something, they were in December even, the, the one thing the Braves could really do is to bring in a veteran presence to be at the top of this rotation and bump Soroka back and take the pressure off Fulton Avich and take the pressure off some of these other guys here a little bit. And Cole Hamels, I don't think, was the answer to that equation. I well, think it's they good wanted to bring, Dallas Keuchel, but they couldn't. Well, I don't think he was the answer either. I thought it was Bumgarner or Bust for them. I thought he was the right guy to go in there and teach everybody how to win. But obviously he had other plans. He wanted to go to Arizona and the rest is history. So I think Waters and Ian Anderson, Ian Anderson especially, is going to be uh, have a microscope on him too. If he pitches well early on, if he gets looks good oh, in spring sure. training. The first guy up. Yeah. yeah, definitely the first guy yeah, up. They'll start that clock there. You know, the Braves are playing to win. Uh, Marlins will go to them now. Monte Harrison, who's not going to make, who already was reassigned to the minors, he would be you know, on a reserve list of some kind. The only problem with Harrison is that they would want him to get minor league at bats because he never had a full season in the minors being hurt the last couple of years. But make no mistake about it, he would be an important piece to a reserve list for Miami. 
Philadelphia's got a couple of pitchers. They really hey, hang on one sec, Craig. Just real quick on Monte Harrison. Uh, did anybody else notice besides me that Monte Harrison was stealing a lot of bases in spring well, training? Th that was their thing, though. Everybody was stealing there. That doesn't take away from Harrison, but um, but every, they were just everybody was running for them. That that's not going to happen for them in the regular season. Okay, very good. I just wanted to point that out. I mean, he was one of the guys where oh, I was kind I mean, of look, low key if, keeping if an he eye plays, on. If he plays uh, forty games, could he steal fifteen bases? Of course. In yeah. those in those season long world leagues, that that matters, especially now when everything's compressed. Without without a doubt, a lot has to happen though for him. Still, remember somebody would have to fail. Uh, right. Brinson, Brinson would have to fail again in center field. They'd have to commit to him. Jazz Chisholm on this I, list for you too with the Marlins. I know we no, kind of glossed for, over the Marlins. Not, not for, for you. No, okay. Here, no. And again, um, Marlins would have to decide on Monte Harrison. Also, do we start his clock if we're not winning? To I mean. Uh, I, I think they have to with him. I think he's got to make his debut this year because they want him in the starting lineup in 2021. He's got to get some legitimate at-bats. Uh, Philly's really no hitting uh, to speak of. Um, I, I don't think Bohm has well, a Alec spot. Well, Alec Bohm. Yeah, a, I, don't, you know. I don't think he has a spot, though. I don't think he has a spot. Uh, you know, it depends. You know, the only way he has a spot is if DD completely collapses. Like, if, if the OBP of DD Gregorius was actually the beginning of the end last year for him, then Kingery moves over to shortstop, and then maybe there is some opportunity well, for let's, That's let's, the only scenario, yeah, and that's a tough, that's a tough that. sell. Yeah, and, saying, I and I don't think Philadelphia would have him. Yeah, that's the only picture I can I would, I, I will see what happens. I wouldn't be shocked, but I would not expect him to be on their reserve I list. I don't think I would either. I, I you know. Well, I and that's what I'm trying to project the reserves. But, but Spencer Howard and Adonis Medina, one starter, maybe two starters, one starter, one reliever. The Phillies we know don't have great starting pitching. Both these guys are going to be available to the field. And Phillies. Howard had a terrific AFL. Howard looked really sharp in the I Arizona Fall. I think we Falls. could see both of these guys. I think Spencer Howard's another one of these guys is a huge winner here, and that rotation has need. That rotation has not had some, you know, outside of Aaron Nola, it's been like they're just trying to find other guys, and there's moments. But they've got have... to have these pitchers facing live hitters. Like, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know how they could call a Spencer Howard up in August and I just think... say... I think if you play, like you said, almost like instructional league base, you know, like if they, they have can those... play opponents, then yes, I agree. But I think if you not, have to. it's very hard. I think like, they would have bull, to have they go from something. bullpens just to the majors. Well, I mean, even if there was six inning games, even if there anything, was like simulation anything. games, something, they're gonna have to do something there. I, I don't think they could just throw pens and get called up. Uh, Mets, there are there are no prospects for the Mets. There there is no one on the horizon that would make a difference. Matt yeah, that's Adams. Depressing. <laughs> Matt Adams could benefit. Look, he, I mean, look, first of all, Matt Adams will be on their reserves, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, and another guy could be a DH for them, too. Exactly. Well, that's the point. What would happen? Look, you don't know. What if Dominic, Dominic Smith goes over 50, you know? And then, oh, we, what are we going to do? We need a DH. Matt Adams would be that guy. So that that's the only player, Joe, that I saw <laughs> on the entire Mets, basically non-roster and even 40-man, that I thought that had a chance. Uh, to be real. I agree. I I think they're well, and they also they have youth at shortstop. They have youth in McNeil. They have youth at first base. So they they, just, they, they you know have any spots. They don't have no. any spots. Mm. And uh, the Nationals, Luis Garcia. Also, I couldn't find a great name here either, but he's their top infield prospect. And again, something would have to go wrong. Turner would have to get hurt. Castro would have to be a bust. Keyboom would have to be a bust. Some things would have right. to go wrong. But look, that's what got Juan Soto to the big leagues two years ago. He was only 18 years old too. No right. one expected him to play. So if two or three things go wrong for Washington in July, Luis Garcia is someone that's going to be on the reserve list. So, uh, look, I, I, it's hard for me to dive 10 players deep, but I've given you six or seven names that I can almost guarantee will be waiting. 
I don't know what their impact will be, but that's kind of where I say. Yeah, of all these names, Spencer Howard is the biggest lock for me that we discussed. That's the guy because I think there's going to, number one, be a need in that rotation. Number two, all of a sudden what goes away is the innings limit concern. And I think, as you are so astutely pointing out earlier in this segment, you talk about, hey, you know, how are you going to keep these guys fresh? Well, the best way to keep Spencer Howard fresh is to put his butt in the rotation and have him start every fifth day because now that innings limits aren't an issue – you're going to have to be competitive here. There's an opening here for the Phillies. You know, the Mets lost Syndergaard here. The, oh, the uh, Phillies have to play for this year. The, na- the Nationals um, don't no have question. Rendon. You know, they have an older team. I know it's only going to, you know, they half a season. Bryce Harper $300 million. They can't well, not play. They're going to do everything they can to win this year. Yeah, everything. and I think they should. And I think as long as Aaron Nola can pitch like an ace, you need somebody else to kind of pick him up in that rotation. And I think Spencer Howard could be that guy. So to me, if there's drafts you know being redone that's a guy that moves way up my board i have him already in a lot of teams a lot of benches because i was just going to wait but i think that's a guy on this list from all these players we talked about that has the most realistic shot to contribute and to contribute right away well there you have it the deepest dive in fantasy baseball that i've done here in exactly two feels months. good two months i feel two good months. about it I, two, two months ago today i was sitting at uh, roger dean chevrolet stadium watching the yankees and the Marlins play in spring training, and, and and I haven't done anything since because there's been no need. There's no season. Well, so. this is good conversation. Finally. Finally. I like it. We're feeling good. Let's do it. Let's play, too. And, no, that will do it for the show. And, once again, thanks to everybody who watched, everybody who tuned in. Also, thanks to our producer, Brett, of course, our editor, Ryan, and on the graphics we had Danny today as well. Uh, We are gone for today, but we'll be back right here tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern here on SportsGrid. And don't forget, coming up later today, it is Scott Farrell going coast to coast. Then a little in-game live tomorrow morning, Joe Ranieri, Dane Martinez with the early line, followed by the morning after. For my co-host Joe Pizapia, I'm Craig Mish. That'll do it for us today. We will be back here tomorrow with another edition of Fantasy Sports Today. Have a great day, everybody. Talk to you tomorrow at 11. See ya. dailyrodo.com learn from the game's best dfs players we don't just give you premier advice we play every day all major sports all year round we never stop industry leading dfs tools and custom projections and now the dailyrodo.com optimizer in minutes build an optimized lineup for cash games and tourneys learn from the game's best dfs players join dailyrodo.com